0: You are listening to Discover, a podcast from the DISC Team Ministry. Hello and welcome to our first in a series of Lent episodes for the Discover podcast from the DISC Team Ministry. My name is Samuel and I'm the curate and I'm joined today by John, our vicar, and Jan, our administrator. And the pattern for these Lent episodes is that we will be reflecting on Sunday's sermon, not necessarily the sermon itself, but the themes which have been raised. In case you didn't know, throughout this Lent, we're looking at the idea of how we can grow in our prayer lives through a variety of different themes. So my theme, which we'll be talking about today, is how the Bible can help us in our prayer lives. We will, in other episodes, be looking at things such as art and books, the meaning and significance of places and spaces, and I think something about music as well. But today we're looking at the idea of how the Bible can help us. And my main contention, I was trying to sort of get across So the best thing we can do when it comes to spending time with the Bible is actually spend time with it. Allow it the space to speak to us, because I believe it does speak to us. So I'm going to open it up now to Jan and John as well to see if they have any initial observations or thoughts that came out of Sunday's talk. Ladies first, Jan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, It reminded me of a book I read a long time ago by Mariano Magrassi called Lectio Divina or whatever, however you say that and at the time it was quite a, a heavy theological book but it did have some really good bits in it and it inspired me to read my bible um, unfortunately I decided to read the bible in one great lump over a year and that probably was Not the best idea, although it gave me a good overview of the Bible. I just read it like a like a book from cover to cover. So I didn't really spend any time letting God speak to me through the words Mm -hmm. that I was reading. Yes, since then I have I, I do appreciate that it's a good idea to take a passage and just sit with it, and let it speak to you. Uh, But I confess, I very rarely do that.
0: I think that's a common thing for all of us. I mean, I certainly find that uh, trying to make sure that I have the time to not just read it at morning and evening prayer where it's being read out, but to actually just sort of sit with something and allow it time to mull around in my heart and my spirit is isn't necessarily always as often as I would like, though I do try and make an effort to to do so.
2: I, I think one of the lovely things about our situation here is that in normal times, at least, when we gather for morning or evening prayer in St Mary's, that we do hear the Bible read. And I think there is a huge difference between reading something yourself, and that depends on your reading speed and Um, how much you're concentrating or thinking of other things. If you hear it heard, all right, your attention can wander, but it's it was meant to be read aloud um, rather than read by individuals. And that way it sort of sinks in much, much more, I think. That lovely collect, you know, all scriptures are written for our learning, maybe so read, mark, hear, learn and inwardly digest them. Is the inwardly digesting bit that takes a bit of time and silence. And yes, like Samuel, I wish that sometimes at morning and evening prayer, after the readings, we allowed a bit more of a gap for us to brood on what we've just read. Even if what we've just read seemed totally ludicrous or horrid to us, uh, when we've been ploughing through Leviticus and learning all about the fat around the kidneys, or something, or as another member of our ministry team has trouble with certain things written by or at least described to St Paul, but it helps if you hear it read, and then you can have a chance to think about it. And then I often find it sort of carries carries with me the rest of the day, or some phrase or a word that that I sort of worry away at, and and, and frequently, yes, it does help. Um, though it may not seem so, it does help in eventual sermon at the end of the week as well.
1: Mm. Yes, I've always been, um, I don't have to write sermons, but I would imagine, I don't know if this is true, that because you have to write a sermon, you have to really get into the piece. So you do spend time, don't you, on it. Yeah. Um, you get more out of it than I would fleetingly listening to it. <laughs>
0: that? Uh, oh, I, <laughs> I don't know about John, but I often find that by the time I get to sitting down and writing a sermon, I've had about five different sermons in my head. Mm-hmm. Sort of, oh, I could talk about this and go that way, or I could try and engage with it in this way. Mm-hmm. But I do actually find that writing sermons is a very helpful practice for me personally, inwardly digesting the, the topics that come up. But I completely agree with what you were saying, John, about it staying with you throughout the rest of the day. There is something about it that we're encouraged in the the Psalms and various parts of uh, the Old Testament, sort of write the word of the Lord on our hearts and sort of carry it within us. And so it's not necessarily just about spending an hour or 45 minutes making sure that you are doing your Bible study not dumping it out of your brain the moment you close the book mm. so that when you are in different situations or you have those other conversations you notice the the coincidences and the resonances mm. and you're sort of like ah, oh, actually that might be something there that i hadn't anticipated before mm. i think that also it's good to be challenged to particularly when you're hearing the scriptures in the morning and evening prayer to hear the parts of scripture that aren't necessarily your favorites you alluded to that with um, someone that's not as keen on Paul. but We have another member of a ministry team who I think has the potential to find great spiritual edification through reflecting far more on angels. There's a lot there to really commend themselves to us. And I'm sure that he's disgruntled hearing this reference <laughs> here in this podcast. So we'll move swiftly on.
2: Oh, dear. It is lovely, as you say, to get to groups with the whole thing. When I was at uni, and I don't know about Samuel, but, you know, Bible study was very much about rather like a detective story. Who wrote which bits? Who edited which bits? Blah, 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 blah. And that's fascinating. I think why why a lot of clergy are fascinated, love reading detective stories is much the same sort of thing. Basically, you want to find out in the end who done it or who's responsible for making you go through all those bits in Leviticus. But as Samuel says, the more you do hear it or read it, the more you think, oh, yes that either says something different to what another writer had to say, and that's interesting, or there are all sorts of parallels and bits and pieces. And then you come to see it in the whole, in, in the round, rather than just individual bits, individual books or letters or chapters or whatever. I think one of the problems with our modern-day lectionaries is that they take sort of chunks and it's rather like having a, you know, sort of dicing up a nice bit of beef, but only serving up one chunk. And that way you you miss out what comes before and what comes after and the, and the whole context of the argument. But that's that's for another podcast, I guess.
0: Well, it's interesting you should say that, though, because one of the most helpful bits of advice I had about trying to read more often was not to set a time. I.e., should you spend half an hour a day? Should you spend an hour and a half a day? some people do and that's great but the advice was if you read three chapters a day and five chapters on sundays Mm -hmm. then you would read the whole of a bible in a year but you don't have to only read three chapters if something's particularly engaging or say a good example would be the story of joseph in genesis if you suddenly stop you know he's just been thrown into jail Mm -hmm. But if you're, if you're interested and you've got the time and the space and you want to read on further, why not read on further? Mm. And I found that a really helpful mentality of, oh, I'm going to read at least three. But if the section naturally goes on a little bit longer and I'm still enjoying it, then I will. Mm. And I actually found that when I first did that, I started at New Year and I'd actually finished the Bible by September.
2: Mm.
0: So it wasn't a whole year, but that was because, you know, I would often read five or six chapters because. Mm. That was the length of time that the stories took. Yeah, so there were some days in Leviticus where it was only the three, and I was <laughs> glad to be done. It, it, I mean,
2: even in parts of the
0: Old Testament, especially the patriarchal stories,
2: they're such darn good stories. You know, if you read them in 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 any other book, you'd that you, they'd be real page turners. You know, you want to know what's what's going to happen next. I do sometimes wonder about uh, what exactly we think we're doing when we read the Bible. I'm, I'm always worried when people sort of mine it for, for, for chunks that will prove this or that argument. I think this goes back to what we've been saying so far, that you, you might think that such and such a book, chapter X, verse Y, says this. But if you really study the Bible, and for me, the Bible is like poetry. You know, a book of prose it just flows through, but poetry you read it first. You either think, "Oh, that's nice," or, or you don't like it much. But the more you go back to it, the more you discover in it. And I think that's for me the way I approach the Bible: that there are some sort of little nuggets and bits of wisdom and bits of things that make me think and go away and brood and and often a nice long walk in the countryside. I sort of find myself uh, plotting Sunday sermon with the readings I've heard before and it's much more like poetry the more you put into reading it and and getting to grips with it the more I think you get out of it
0: Hmm. what do you think John
1: yes I I was quite surprised actually when I read some parts of the you know I wasn't a very fond of the old testament but actually when I've read bits of the old testament they are lovely and they kind of point to Jesus don't they I was quite surprised when I came across those passages to think gosh that they're talking about Jesus and this is thousands of years before he came well you know a long time yes yeah, so there are bits I do struggle with and I just think let's just get this bit over and done with quickly <laughs> and I, I find myself flicking to the end you know <laughs> and there are characters you're right in your sermon you said there are characters I honestly think I'm with other people on this if I met Paul. I would think, oh no, I would. I don't think I'd like him at all. Mm. But then he does say some very good things, and he says some awful things. Mm. <laughs> you know, as a woman, <laughs> I can't. I just can't agree with.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it is interesting because this comes back a little bit to what, what you were saying, John, about people making particular arguments with scripture. And we see that with all of these different issues, whether it's, you know, the role of women or, you know, throw a stick and you'll hit something that's contentious in current conversation. And one of the things that I was really sort of mindful of in preparing for the sermon on Sunday was a quote from one of my favourite theologians called Tom Torrance, which I did actually slip in. It wasn't too long. I tried to read it as if it were a quote, but I didn't want to suddenly make it sound like an essay. But that when we're reading the Bible, one of the more helpful things to do is to listen to it, not as though we know already what it has to say, and not as though it only confirms what we have already said to ourselves, but to listen in such a way that we're lifted outside of ourselves to hear what only God can say to us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the main thing that giving the Bible space does, Rather than trying to go in and be like, okay, I'm going to prove my point. (laughs) Or, yes, I'm right about this, and this makes me feel better about myself. Sort of being open to sort of hearing, like you were saying, Jan, the bits that you like and the bits that you don't like. Because even in there, you might be like, oh, actually, when I give it the space, there's something or a principle or an element of that that does speak to me even if it's not perhaps in the way that you might think it's like John's saying about going back and revisiting poetry and sort of recognizing principles and ideas that you perhaps didn't notice on the first glance Now
1: mm. yeah. so if you believe that uh, the bible is god inspired god wrote that through a flawed as you say as a fl- as a flawed person but somewhere behind there God is trying to get his point across. Mm. And I think if you listen, hopefully God will speak to you. Mm. Mm.
2: And I think the other thing that we often mistake is that, you know, if you use Lectio Divina or or whatever else is assuming that almost every day or every week, Something will, you know, come through, and it's like anything else in the prayer life. Sometimes things seem rather arid and dry, and nothing much is happening. And you can go through you know, two or three weeks of lectionary readings, and you listen, and you it might be interesting or otherwise. And just just now and again, you might get a, might get a flash of something. You think, hmm, yeah, I'm 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 being asked to to think about something here or whatever. But when it does occur, that's the time to, to stop and go back to it and just inwardly digest, mull over it and just see what, see what comes of it. And quite frequently for me is those times when suddenly you think, yeah, well, I, I, I disagree with the way it's put and I disagree perhaps with some of the argument, but dot, 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 dot. And then it's when, in a sense, uh, when the bottle comes and grabs you by the throat and makes you sit up and think. And they're always very valuable, little moments, whenever they do arrive.
0: I think that the Bible itself is aware that that's how it is. I mean, you look at the amount of Psalms where people say, how long, O Lord, are you going to hide your face from us? You know, I wait for you. There's there's not very much instant gratification (laughs) in the spiritual life when it comes to Bible reading. There's certainly a lot of richness And there's a lot to explore and to dwell in and digest. Mm. But sometimes it's a bit more like uh, chewing on a leathery piece of meat than it Mm -hmm. is always eating the choice
2: cuts.
0: (laughs) One of the things that I do think is important, I mean, it's certainly important for me, is this belief that God does speak and that God does still speak through the Bible. It's not just a historical record of what people have said about God or what people thought God was saying. I mean, you hear different theories from different people saying, you know, different parts of the Bible are clearly uh, the results of people who have been eating different kinds of mushrooms and so on. And it's like, well, you can try and explain certain things in that kind of a, a way. And yes, just who wrote this particular bit and how can we tell whether it was copied from another manuscript that was previously written and these two were joined together and so on. But I would want to always sort of hold the image of jesus as both divine and human truly divine and truly human and being this meeting place which holds god and humanity together as an image and a pattern for prayer so that by being united with christ in baptism we can truly pray to the father and be heard by god and also hear from god and i would say that i i believe that that happens with the scriptures as well You look at the history of how different books were chosen to be in. It's a very human process. Different councils arguing, well, we want Hebrews to be in the Bible and, well, we want Revelation to be in the Bible. Okay, well, we'll we'll agree to sort of disagree, but we'll put both of them in. And to say that that's not part of a process of God's influence on these texts, I I mean, I, I can understand it, but it just doesn't resonate for me. I find the value of it all in being that God is using fundamentally human people with fundamentally human words Mm. in our human nature. Mm. And to say that God transforms that human nature, he transforms the human witness, he transforms the human words to somehow make it holy so that we can call it holy scripture. And that's sort of being able to engage with that's what I find exciting Mm. sometimes. That's what I find makes me speak like this and go on a ramble and a rant. But I do genuinely just love the presence of God in the human words that we have.
2: I think the best analogy I came across years ago was, as I say, at uni I did all the stuff about dissecting who wrote which bits and who edited it and what dates various bits came from, which is all fascinating, I, I love all that. But somebody said, you know, it's rather the same with a piece of art. You can get right up close and the art experts can tell you, well, it can't be by this painter because they use the brush in a different way or the paint is not quite right. That's all marvellous stuff and it is wonderful learning about it. But to actually see a picture and to let that picture or sculpture whatever speak to you, you've got to stand back and take it as a whole. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much examining it as making it or helping it to examine you.
0: Yes, I've heard something about that. It's... Um shouldn't seek to interpret the bible by the world but the world by the bible you shouldn't seek to that's not quite the same that was the phrase that came out but there was another one that was on the tip of my tongue Mm. but yes we're engaged in a two-way conversation Mm. when we look through the words of scripture into the presence of god Mm. and god is looking back he is waiting for us and reaching out to us in love and that's where this sort of ineffable profundity comes from I think a sort of indescribable something yeah, yeah.
1: I Isn't mean it? I had in that book I read it, it did say something along the lines of when we pray we speak to God but when we read the Bible God speaks to us hmm. now I don't I don't know if that well I don't know if that's always I don't think it's the only way that God yeah. can speak to us but it could be one way.
0: And that's what we're looking at on this podcast. We're going to have all these other uh, themes of art and places and other aspects. And um, not to toot my own horn, but I did like it just, it was something I'd thought of before, but as I wrote it down, I don't know if you ever find this, John, sometimes you write something in a sermon, mm-hmm. and you're like, actually, I've learned something by having written that. Right. <laughs> and, Uh, It was that the joy of prayer is that its riches are limited only by the imagination of God himself, for he remains always free to reveal himself to us in both the familiar and unexpected ways. So yes, the Bible is definitely a a key way that we can hear from God. But I'm really looking forward to hearing the sermons and the podcasts on the other topics as well, to sort of flesh it out and not just have one track, but a slightly more comprehensive Rich
2: It's interesting you saying that because often when I'm writing a sermon as you say or thinking about a sermon, you're sort of s- struggling with the text and suddenly you, you it, the penny drops as it were, uh, and you think, "Oh yes, maybe that does make sense after all mm. and there's a lovely tale of, of the 18th century cleric preaching away in a very dry, dusty sermons as they used to be and, and there was a member of his local nonconformist chaplain in the congregation and at one point the vicar seemed that penny seemed to drop. And this chap yelled out from the back of the church, glory be, the parson is converted. So reading scripture does have its uses. Janu- uh, just to make you feel better, when, when you said that you started the Bible at sort of page one of Genesis, we're going to plow through until the very last bit of Revelation. Years ago, I did try something similar. There was, I, I got in a secondhand bookshop, a, a huge one year sort of reading of the Bible that started off in that way. And Mayor I have to admit, that by the middle of January, I had, I had given up. Although I've dissed the lectionary, I think one of the good things about it is it doesn't do that. It sort of skips around a bit. So it gives you a variety. It gives you the history. It gives you the poetry. It gives you the thoughts and the prayers and so forth. So you're never sort of getting bogged down in one bit you're not plowing through book after book after book of laws or book after book after book of history or whatever. And what versions do you like? Because I think different people prefer either a traditional version or a modern version. And that, again, is sort of all about this. If we're if we're trying to encourage people to use the Bible in prayer, what sort, I guess? Huh? I had,
1: I had, had the, like I think it was the, the New Living Translation. I had the year and a the- bible in a year in that version i'd have Mm -hmm. to go check it so it wasn't an archaic language i have read it in all sorts of different ones
0: it's a question i often get asked when someone wants to start reading the bible like well so what translation should i get and then it gets more complicated because you have all of the different translations and once you've decided on a translation you then go into the the christian bookshop or the online store or wherever it is Mm -hmm and you see you know, a leather-bound thick one, you have a really small paperback one, you have one where you need a magnifying glass to be able to try and read the, the big mm. font in that one. <laughs> um, you have so many different form factors. And actually, I end up sort of often suggesting, well, don't get this one or that one because it's a really bad translation. But most of the translations do a good job at what they're trying to do. So bear that in mind but actually just find one that you will be comfortable reading. Mm. Are you going to be reading this at home as a sort of a book that you leave on your coffee table? Or are you going to be taking it with you on a commute on the train? You know, how are you going to be using this book? Because the best Bible to read is one that you will read. So to an extent, I'm always hesitant to say, well, you should get the New Testament Greek-English interlinear in the leatherback form that costs £900. Because if you're not going to sit down and read it, uh, you may as well just buy a £5 paperback that you're happy to take with you in your rucksack. So, yeah, what, what do you think about that kind of thing, John? I've liked a variety over the years. I think,
2: for, for me, in this sort of p- particular job, it's a matter of there are some that are very good translations of either the Hebrew or the Greek, and there are others that... Paraphrase it a bit to make it more flow in sort of colloquial English. I do like the Jerusalem Bible and the New Jerusalem mm-hmm. Bible. That's a that's a very good translation and a very and a very readable one. Mm-hmm. I think some that there may be good translations. They're a little bit stodgy to read,
0: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. but it's such a matter of choice. And as, as Samuel says, there's no point buying one of these whopping uh, 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 lectionary type Bibles. Good. That's not going to help anyone. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting because my granddad um, also happened to be a vicar and he would have a Bible, he'd have many Bibles, but he would have a Bible for a few years and it was his practice to um, sort of underline and to make notes in the margins. Mm -hmm. And he would sort of get a fresh Bible every five years or so Mm -hmm. so that he wouldn't be distracted by his own markings and sort of, Uh, some people quite like those red letter bibles where the words that jesus says are in red type and that's really helpful for seeing what jesus said but sometimes your eyes can skip from the bits before or after to focusing on the red letter bits and it's the same idea there that he wanted to sort of change up his bible every once in a while in order to be able to come at it afresh so even if you have a favorite version of your bible if you do like doing the underlining maybe it would be worth getting a new one and start underlining afresh, so you see what's speaking to you now, rather than just what spoke to you ten years ago.
2: And of course, nowadays you can get so many versions online as well. you, yeah. you know, see it on your smartphone or tablet, and read it on the train or whatever. Um, but it's probably not recommended as a place where you can uh, get the peace and quiet you need to <laughs> do as we've been recommending. But have a look at have a look at a variety. Pop, pop into any bookshop and have a look. And some will look very formal and sound very formal, and you might not be that sort of person. Like, like everything else that's going to come up in this series, I guess different people will respond in different ways to different inputs. So,
0: 100. my mum got quite into the mindfulness coloring stuff, you know, where <laughs> sort of, um, so you have a picture and you color in the different shapes. Yeah. And she's actually got a Bible which has got that. Um, I think it's around, so the text is in the middle but It has thick margins Around the edges with different Sort of shapes and scenes From what's relevant to the passage mm. And so she'll sort of have it open And she'll just fill in some of the bits While she's reading and she finds that a good way Of mm. distracting the part of her That gets distracted in order to focus on it So if you hadn't heard Of that before, there's there's different things out yeah. there It's mm. worth having a look
2: Absolutely.
0: And the same with John was saying earlier about the value of listening to scripture. There's plenty of audio Bibles out there. I mean, there's the really well-known and beloved one uh, read by David Suchet, which you can buy or listen to on YouTube or any anywhere else. But there's plenty of different recordings of different people reading different translations, some more formal, some in a more colourful and dr- dramatised fashion. So uh, it's well worth exploring. Yeah. Jan, you were talking to me earlier and you mentioned that there was um, something I think it was a pope had said that you had in that book that you thought would be of interest.
1: Yes, this was this was uh, quite a surprise to me. um, I'm not very good at popes, but apparently there was a Pope Gregory in the sixth century and he wrote a letter to Theodore, who was the emperor's physician. And I'll I'll read it out because if you if you try and think that he's writing to you, it kind of speaks volumes, really. So it's Gregory writing to Theodore. And he says, since one who loves more risks more, I must reprimand my most illustrious son, Theodore. He has received from the most holy trinity, the gifts of intelligence, well-being, mercy and charity but they are forever being stifled by profane questions, by constant comings and goings. Thus he neglects to read the words of his Redeemer each day. What is scripture if not a letter from Almighty God to his creature? If your excellency lived somewhere else and received mail from an earthly monarch, he would have no peace, he would not rest, He would not shut his eyes until he had learned the contents of that letter. The King of heaven, Lord of men and angels, has written you a letter that you might live. And yet, illustrious son, you neglect to read it with ardent love. Strive, therefore, I beg you, to meditate each day on the words of your creator. Learn to know the heart of God in the words of God. Thus, you will long for the things of heaven with greater desire and your soul will be more eager for the joys that are invisible. May the spirit fill your soul with his presence and in filling it, make it more free. That's lovely. I thought that was lovely. I I mean, that was written in the sixth century. I always think, you know, (laughs) by pope. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, there's 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 goodness even there.
0: <laughs> I think that there's a lot to no, be, I, yeah. there's a lot to be commended to each of us as we're here during this Lent, to pick up our Bibles and to try and listen to the heart of God through the words mm-hmm. of Scripture, which I think is what Jan just quoted. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably a good point for us to draw to a close. Unless either mm-hmm. of you have anything else that you would like to add. No,
2: I think what Jan said summed it up so well we'll just shut up and and leave her
0: to preach the next few sermons wasn't
1: me it was Pope Gregory
0: Pope Gregory from the 6th century teaching us even today how we can search for and love God in all that we're doing so thank you for joining us for this episode where we've reflected on how the Bible can help us in our prayer lives do check in next week as we consider what impact creation might have on how we are inspired by the God who made us all and loves us this Lent. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye.